This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest professors to your fingertips with more than 500 courses on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more. The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming or DVD and CD. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only, the Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including the Decisive Battles of World History. For this limited time 80% offer, go to thegreatcourses.com slash WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com slash WS. We came out of the White House not only dead broke, but in debt. Some experts estimate that she could be raking in nearly $250,000 per speech. We struggled to, you know, piece together the resources for mortgages for houses. The Clinton's assets were worth about $5.2 million to $25.5 million. We had to pay off all our debts, which was, you know, you had to make double the money because of, obviously, taxes. As Secretary of State, Ms. Clinton earned a salary of $186,600 a year. But that's just a drop in the bucket compared to the $14 million advance she was paid for her latest book, Hard Choices. Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. And Bill, we've lost track of the minivan carrying America's next president careening somewhere through the Midwest. I think they're at a Stuckey's getting a pecan log, but I'm not sure. You know, you can't make it up, right? I mean, it's so much like one of those, for me, it's like one of those made-for-TV movies. I want to say maybe from the 80s. I think mm-hmm. it's on, like, the Lifetime channel. The, the, you know, the grandma goes off and is driven off in a van to see America. <laughs> she has wacky encounters with, quote, ordinary, or what does she call them, everyday Americans. Everyday Americans, everyday. The, 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 you know, the rascally husband is back home doing God knows what, and, it would be a very, uh, well, it wouldn't be a very amusing movie. It would be a mildly <laughs> amusing movie, I suppose. One might watch late at night if there's nothing else on, but, um, but no, this is, this See, is for me, maybe it's because I have younger, I have younger kids, but I just keep seeing Fozzie Bear and Kermit, you know, moving <laughs> right along. Da, 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 da. Hey, there's a fork in the road, or maybe the Partridge family traveling around. There's a song that we're singing. So maybe she'll stop and sing a few songs as she goes. That would be great. You know, we just had an editorial meeting here, and so we were discussing the phrase everyday American, right. which is sort of interesting when you think about it and and weird in a way. I mean, you know, I, I don't think it's, it's not that common a phrase or hasn't been so right. recently. They must have focus grouped it and decided it plays better than ordinary Americans. You can't say normal Americans anymore because that's, you know, might, right. might seem to cast a spurs. Heteronormative, absolutely. Uh, yeah, exactly, you know, and all that. So everyday Americans. I mean, this everyday, I'm trying to think when the, the adjective everyday in my youth, was used for kind of like everyday clothes as opposed to like Sunday best, right? You know, an everyday player <laughs> in baseball is a, you know like not a pitcher or a pinch hitter, but everyday Americans. I like the idea of Hillary trying to find these everyday Americans. It has a little bit of the Marie Antoinette going out on tour to see how the peasants are doing, don't you think? Absolutely, and uh, I also thought it was interesting. Uh, first of all, on my radio show, we played a montage of some of Hillary's great fiscal and economic triumphs. Under the with the song underneath it by Sly and the Family Stone, I love everyday people. Yeah, that seems uh, to be where the phrase comes from. I mean, exactly. Tell from a little googling. Yeah. But um, it was interesting. Some of our uh, activists used the hashtag during the announcement today with the everyday people, you know, comment. The hashtag they use is We Are Hillary, and I think you can see that 
at least at this moment in this campaign, we'll see a hundred different versions of the Hillary 100.0, that by having other people speak for her, it's clear that she's really hoping that the we will be the key word as opposed to the Hillary to try to get the focus off of who she is and simply focus it on, look, you know, what do you want? What do you need me to be? I'll be it for you. Please ignore the fact that you've known me for 25 years now and now you know exactly who I am. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure it's foolish on their part. We can all make fun of it and should, but uh, given the hand they've got to play, I mean, she is a huge celebrity. And this is a weird combination, and Americans sometimes like this, I suppose, of, like, you know, let's acknowledge she's the celebrity. The Secret Service is driving her in a van, you know. It's kind of crazy to mingle with a common folk. But then, so she's a celeb, but she also is showing an interest in people. And it, that's isn't that what we like our celebrities to do? Isn't the movie stars do this all the time, you know? Right. And, the, the kind of uh, so maybe maybe it's not crazy. I don't know. We, at the end of the day, one hopes the American voter does uh, you know care enough about actual issues and policy and character to ask what would you do in terms of policy and what why are you really qualified for this job and what about these other things you've done in the past? But, but they, they hope they can slide all over. That is, it's, I mean, it is fantastic. It's the, you know, for someone who's allegedly a substantive candidate, is there ever been a less substantive launch to a campaign? You know. But the the disturbing math is that she may not need to do it. And that's what I wonder how much this conversation, you know, my listeners, I having a blast, you know, on my Twitter feed, whatever, mocking the whole We Are Hillary thing and you know, all these quotes from her history that we all know by heart. You know, I ain't no ways tired. All you can do is say that and people know exactly what you're talking about. But those voters, I think, are 100 percent already pro, pro or anti-Clinton voters. I, I think that this, this election is more than... Any election in a, in a while is going to come down to people who have a lot of vague, preconceived notions, and someone's going to either have to clarify for them, or they're just going to wander in going, well, the last time I had a Clinton, it was okay. Why not have another one? Yeah, I totally agree, which is why I think the Republicans have to run a policy-heavy campaign and have the nerve to hope that the American public will, you know, you can sort of jolt the public into saying, wait a second, wait a second, isn't the world blowing up? Isn't the economic growth not very good? Isn't this party very radical on some issues? Uh, late-term abortion and stuff that I don't really agree with. If you don't get voters to focus on that, if it's a gauzy kind of who do you like better, mm-hmm. our people think that the public doesn't like Hillary, but I kind of agree with you. If it's just a kind of who do you like, who do you feel comfortable with, she's like a famous and rich person, but she seems to kind of care about how people like us. I think that, that she might make it, uh, she might win. Yeah, that, it, Republicans need to make it about real policy. And now I want to send an audio thank you note to Marco Rubio. And I was thinking about this earlier today, Bill, that when you think about where the Republicans were looking for a nominee in 2008 and 2012, it was just, it wasn't pretty. I don't care what your politics yeah. are. <laughs> if people force me to take Herman Cain and Newt Gingrich seriously, something has gone terribly, terribly wrong. <laughs> and now look at it. Even despite uh, Jeb Bush getting in the race, Marco Rubio is getting in. And just the fact that it appears we're going to have a Rubio, Walker, Paul, Cruz, Bush conversation, we, we should thank these guys, well, except Bush, for, for getting in to give us this conversation. And I think it can be that perfect, the one you just described, the policy heavy and how it relates to you and look what we can actually do something. You don't have to just take the lesser of two evils. We can do something together. We could end up with that kind of primary and that kind of uh, of uh, nominee in, in significant part because Marco Rubio chose to defy Bush and get in this race. So thank you, Marco Rubio, wherever you are. You know, I think it's a big moment, Marco, getting in. A, he, you know, could be the nominee. He could be a formidable candidate. B, 
Yeah, I think the defying of Bush, what you just said, is is important. I mean, he he would have been the guy more than any other who would have stepped in, in the old days. You might say would have exactly. had to step back and say, "Woof, boy, the senior guy from my state, the guy with the access to, to with access to more money, uh, is getting in, and I'm young, and I'll just wait my turn." The fact that he didn't really signal something, I think it it gives more legitimacy to the notion that the nominee might not be Jeb Bush. And I've got to say, I was struck by this over the last 24 hours, watching the reaction of. Republicans and conservatives to Hillary. If you read a lot of the tweets, a lot of the blog posts, that kind of pick up the sentiment. A lot of it is transferable. Uh, the anti-Hillary sentiment is somewhat transferable, somewhat unfairly, incidentally, but still somewhat transferable to being anti-Jeb Bush sentiment. I mean, all the stuff about entitlement and you know mixing with the masses and 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 coming from royalty. Right. I think a lot of the more people, the more people on the Republican and conservative side internalize the sense that. We don't want to go down that road. We want to run against royalty as the party that doesn't talk about everyday Americans, but actually has nominated someone who comes from and is, you know, an everyday American in the good sense. I think the more people internalize that, fairly or unfairly in a way, I think it will hurt Jeb Bush. Uh, and uh, it, it, I think those da that damage against Jeb Bush was there already. In other words, a pre-existing, fairly or unfairly, I... Look, if you had given me the three Bushes and said, which one will you appoint president, I would have appointed Jeb because of his policies and we would be more aligned. But we are where we are. That's just It's just a political fact, just like we are where we are with electing a woman president. And I think Marco Rubio can bring the one-two punch of here are all the reasons why good things can happen with these policies. And number two, you can still make history. You can still cast a ballot that doesn't feel like an old-style Republican ballot and I think that makes him a very powerful uh, choice for the Republican Party. And we'll see. I mean, Steve Hayes is down there. I talked to him this morning, and uh, he'll cover Marco's launch tonight, write a big piece for us this week, uh, get some time with, with Rubio to interview him, and we'll, we'll push him on some of the policies. But I think Rubio's promising. Obviously, Walker Cruz, there are plenty of others, right. too, gentle, who, who – who, and I, I'm with you, though. I think the more I think about Hillary having this kind of coronation, if she does – and the Republicans having a debate stage with Jindal, Rubio, uh, Cruz, Walker, et cetera, Paul, uh, and Jeb, uh, and then for that matter, Carly Fiorina and Ben Carson, and a few others in addition, I, I feel okay about the Republicans up there. I think that's a good image to present, having a serious debate about a bunch of issues, a bunch of impressive, interesting people, diverse people, as opposed to Hillary sort of uh, swatting away a few tiny, trivial challengers. If that's the way it is, I still think there would be a market for someone other than Hillary, even among the Democrats. So I'm losing, no. I've got to say, I'm losing confidence in that. I mean, maybe they're just, that party's become so, uh, you know, the old joke was Republicans fall in line, Democrats fall in love. But the, the truth is Republicans didn't fall in line as easily as people said. Now, they ended up nominating the next in line, admittedly, the Romney, the McCain, the, the Dole, uh, the Bush. But, you know, there was a competition. The incumbent vice president, George H.W. Bush, after two tours of Reagan, still had to beat back a tough challenge by Bob Dole, Jack right. Kemp, Pete DuPont. The idea that Hillary is just going to coast in there, that no one in the Democratic Party has the guts, frankly, to, to run against her, it's really kind of, no one's serious. It's kind of amazing. I just want to apologize to our listeners on behalf of the Weekly Standard for that horrible sexist massage you just heard from uh, Bill Crystal implying that Hillary should be required to go through an election. And I think we all know that that's nothing but right-wing hate. I, yeah, you're right, and I will exactly. I will go to the blackboard and write 100 Thank times. You. Because that's really where it is. We have really reached that point, and you're going to see it through the next 18 months, where any criticism 
of Hillary Clinton in any criticism of her campaign is going to be uh, presented by some parts of the media and by some of the people around her as you know having to do with women. I thought it was fascinating that CNN this morning said Republicans are trying to stop Hillary Clinton from breaking the glass ceiling. As though if she were Hank Clinton, we'd be going, yeah, there we go. That's someone we'd love. Yeah, no, isn't that amazing, the glass ceiling? And, well, someone tweeted yesterday, I think it was Andrew Stiles from the Free Beacon, that uh, one of Hillary's supporters, like it was Hillary Rose, and said, oh, it's a fighting moment breaking the glass mm-hmm. ceiling. And Andrew Stiles tweeted something like, yeah, it's, it's just so exciting to have a millionaire, Harvard Law, you know, Yale, Ivy League Law <laughs> graduate, uh, aspiring to become president. And, I mean, the, I think it was Hillary Rose and one of Hillary Clinton's supporters went nuts, basically, right. if you look at the Twitter feed. I mean, they can't stand the idea that she will be held to the same standards as anyone else and can be made fun of just like anyone else. Uh, but how can you make fun of someone who, as they cruise along I-70 looking for the next Bob Evans so they can whip in for a uh, sausage and gravy uh, biscuit? I don't, I don't know how you can make fun of her, Bill. You know, if she wanted to do what everyday Americans, to use her phrase, mm-hmm. do, she should have gone to LaGuardia. Gone through TSA <laughs> screening. Seriously, that in you know row you know C twenty four D crushed in there on the American United flight to Des Moines and had the true experience that middle class Americans have, and not have the Secret Service driver out there. Bill, that may in fact be the meanest thing I've heard anyone say about Hillary making her get on a commercial air flight and go through the TSA. That is borderline hate. Bill Crystal, thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. My pleasure, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.